are, we are now in week two of our new series on the parables of Jesus. Uh, if you missed last week, shame on you, you dirty little sinner. Um, no, not, not really. If you missed last week, last week we said that parables are um, they're earthly stories that are they're really kind of intended to unearth deeper spiritual truths. And these parables that Jesus would teach typically would contain a shocking twist, something that would make the audience go like, oh, dang, man, I, d- I did not see that coming at all. And so as we saw last week, Jesus dropped an absolute bomb in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable that we called the parable of the sower in the dirt. Uh, that made some of you a little bit uncomfortable. That parable made me a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. If you, if you read the Gospels at all, it's not going to take you long to figure out that Jesus doesn't mind making people uncomfortable, like, at all. <laughs> In fact, it almost seems like he, he looks for opportunities to rock the boat and to challenge the status quo and to tick self-righteous folks off, right? I mean, he's just, he's looking for those opportunities. And Jesus taught in a way that was absolutely revolutionary, almost scandalous in that day. And it's really revolutionary in our day as well. I always kind of joke around, but it's true. People that tell me, man, I, I just find Jesus or I find the Bible boring. I'm just like, man, have you read it? That just tells me you've never actually read it or you don't understand what you're reading because Jesus was constantly dropping bombs and shattering people's comfort zones. And I think the reason Jesus did this is because he understood that many of us just kind of walk through life like zombies, right? We're, we're awake, but we're not really awake. We're alive, but we're not really alive. We're just kind of on autopilot, right? We, we wake up, we go to work, we come home, we eat, we veg out on Netflix, we go to sleep, we wake up, rinse and repeat week after week, month after month, decade after decade. And sometimes we just need to be jostled out of this kind of life trance that most of us live in so that we can see truth that can actually transform the way that we live our lives. And so that's what Jesus does oftentimes with these parables. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that, uh, turn it on, open it up, head for Luke chapter 10. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. And I want to set this parable up by telling you uh, another story in the Gospels. There's this time earlier in the Gospels where the the Pharisees, who were these uh, religious leaders, kind of these self-righteous people, kind of huddled together and they kind of just kind of looking for a way, a plot to, to trap Jesus. And so one of the Pharisees comes up to Jesus and he asks Jesus, hey Jesus, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And he's hoping that Jesus is just going to say something so that they can go, aha, see, he's a heretic, let's stone him, let's kill him. Because they hated Jesus, right? They hated everything that he was about, they hated everything that he taught, they, were, they hated every, the way that he lived his life. And so they were trying to spring a trap for him, and Jesus answered the question. He said, this is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And what Jesus was saying there is that, listen, there there can be no separation between loving God and loving people. So love God with with all that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment and all other laws are fulfilled in this. So with that as our backdrop, I want to look at one of the more familiar parables in all of the New Testament. It's commonly known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Luke chapter 10, 
I hope you're there. Luke uh, is written by a Greek doctor, unsurprisingly named Luke, um, who became a follower of Jesus. And this is what Dr. Luke writes in Luke 10, beginning in verse 25. He says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the first thing that we need to know about this guy trying to test Jesus is that he's not a lawyer in the way that you and I typically picture a lawyer. So this is not a guy wearing a suit with slicked back hair, uh, looking for ways to sue people so he can buy a second beach house in Italy. Now, I know I just unfairly painted an entire profession of people. So if you're a lawyer here, I'm, I'm sure you're awesome. Like, I'm sure you're really awesome. This guy's not awesome. He's, a, he's actually a religious lawyer. So this guy would have been an expert in Old Testament law. Uh, kind of think Bible scholar, okay? So this is, this is who this, this lawyer is. Would have been a smart guy. Uh, would have been a really religious guy. And he's, he's really, he's trying to trap Jesus here, which, which by the way, is always a bad idea, as, he, as he's about to find out. But the question that he asks is actually a good one. How do I get eternal life, or how do I inherit eternal life? This is honestly a question that all of us should be asking, isn't it? Because all of us, I think, deep down, we know, or at the very least hope, we just have this thought, like, man, there's got to be something more than just like this handful of decades that we get on this planet, Right? There's got to be something more than just these 60 years or 70 or 80 or 90 years on this busted up planet that we live on. It's, it's actually a really good question that this lawyer guy asked, even if his motives were not in the right place. So Jesus answers beginning in verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so Jesus takes his question and he flips the question, right? He answers the question with a, qu a question of his own. If you read the New Testament, read the Gospels, Jesus did this often. This is probably something that we should all, uh, all learn from, right, as we engage people in our own culture because questions tend to drill down into people's hearts. And so Jesus says, hey, you're, you're the expert in the law, big boy. How, how do you read it? How, how do you interpret it? Verse 27. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So the, the, the lawyer dude, he nails it. Right? This is like the, the perfect answer. Verse 28. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So Jesus is like, hey, 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 good job, guy. That's, that's correct. You got the, the right answer. And you can almost picture this religious lawyer like puffing his chest out a little bit like, of course I got it right. I'm an expert in the law, Jesus. And we might maybe just even picture him like turning and walking away with a big grin on his face. But Jesus isn't done right. He goes, listen, you're correct. Do this and you will live. Right? See, Jesus doesn't just say, believe this and you will live. He says, Go and do this and you will live. Because, listen, in God's economy, love always leads to action. Now, our, our, our culture is really misguided on what love is. See, our, our culture kind of pushes this idea that love is a feeling. And so when that, that warm, fuzzy feeling is gone, then I, I guess I don't really love you anymore. I guess I, I, I made a mistake. It's time for me to, to, to pull the ripcord and, and bail out. That's... Listen, that, that is not love. That is infatuation, but many of us call that love. 
or we think of love as approval. So if I love you, then I, I must approve of everything in your life. And this is maybe the biggest lie that many of us, even in this room today, are believing right now. Listen, I can disagree with you and still love you ferociously. Love is not approval. I like the way one of my preaching mentors, uh, Tony Morita, defines biblical love. This is, this is what he says love is. He says, love is passion that leads to action. That's good, isn't it? Love is passion that leads to action, which makes our lawyer friend in this parable a little uncomfortable. Verse 29. But he, the lawyer guy, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, you, you realize what he's doing here, right? He's talking to Jesus, and he says, who, who is my neighbor? And he's hoping that Jesus will answer, well, duh, man, your, your neighbor is your friend. It's, it's your family. It's the, the people who worship with you in the temple. It's the people who believe like you do, right? He's hoping that that will be the answer so he can go, I'm nailing that. I'm, I'm, I'm crushing that. And he's hoping the crowd will go, ooh, look at this awesome guy here. Teach us your ways, holy lawyer man. That's how he's hoping this will play out. But Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor, with a deep and beautiful parable. And man, there are, there are so many layers to this. We could easily take two or three weeks just on this one parable. Uh, we're gonna try to unpack it in 30 minutes. So buckle up, here we go, verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, this is a real road. This is a real road. You can even go there uh, to this day. It's about 17 or 18 miles. It goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho by the Dead Sea. On one side, it's got these high cliffs and this massively steep drop-off, so super, super dangerous. And then on the other side of this road, there are rocks and there are caves. Like, this is not the road that you want to be on in the first century. All right, like super shady area because people would hide in the rocks. They would hide in the caves. And when people would come by, they would jump out. They would mug them. They would rob them. They would beat them sometimes. They would kill them. This is not the road that you want to be on. Bad stuff happens on this road. And yet this guy in the parable, who, by the way, scholars tell us is more than likely Jewish, which is important, this guy finds himself on this road, and sure enough, bad stuff happens, right? These guys jump out, and they beat him to within an inch of his life. They strip him naked of all of his clothes, and they leave him, as Jesus says, half dead, which means this, this, guy, this guy is literally, he's dying, Okay, so this guy doesn't have like a boo-boo and he needs, he needs a band-aid on his scrape. This dude is, he's bleeding out on the road. He is in really, really bad shape. So here's, here's, what, here's what happens in the parable. We'll get to this in a minute. But uh, the first guy on the scene is, is a priest. Now, a priest in those days would have been a guy who uh, leads religious services in a, in a temple. So in essence, it would have been, he would have been kind of like a pastor in today's world. So a pastor is showing up. So if you're, if you're the guy dying on the road, this is really great news, right? There's a pastor showing up. At this point, I think Jesus' audience would have been absolutely captivated, and Jesus raises the stakes. The second person on the scene is a Levite. Now, a Levite would have been sort of like an assistant to the pastor or an assistant to the priest. 
He pretty much would have been, you could think of like a JV pastor, right? He couldn't play with the big boys, but uh, man, he had his role in the religious world. You kind of think of like a youth pastor, okay? Now, I, I can say that because Craig is away this weekend leading a middle school retreat. Don't tell him I said that. It's kind of like a, kind of like a JV pastor. This is, this is also really good news, right? This is a church guy. It's a guy who loves the Lord. He works at a church. So we have a priest and we have a Levite. Good, good news. To top it all off, scholars tell us that these two guys were likely leaving religious services in Jerusalem. That's why they were coming down that long roadway to go back to Jericho. So these guys had just been teaching the word of God. They had just been praying. They had just been worshiping. What are the odds that a priest and a Levite would show up right when someone was in need on this road? For this guy laying in the road, like this has got to be his lucky day, right? You would think. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, what did he do? He passed by on the other side. So the priest sees this dude sprawled out in the road, bleeding out. And the word tells us that he goes, literally, he goes out of his way to go onto the other side of the road, and he keeps walking by. Now, at this point, the hearers of this parable would have been absolutely, I think, on the edge of their seats. And they probably were thinking, well, maybe, who knows, man, maybe the priest was having a bad day. Maybe he had an emergency back in his hometown, and he had to get back to help there. So, so surely, surely the Levite guy, this other guy that loves Jesus, man, he's, he's going to stop, and he's, he's going he's gonna to help. So let, let's see what happens with the Levite, verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, what did he do? He passed by, again, on the other side. So the Levite sees the guy laying there in the road, and he literally walks to the other side of the road, and he keeps walking by. Now, at this point, the audience, I think, would have been confused. I think they would have been mesmerized. They would have been thinking, like, where in the world is Jesus going with this parable? And here's what I think Jesus is doing right here. He is painting a picture for us of what it looks like to not love your neighbor well. And don't miss this. These two guys knew the Bible, man. They knew the Old Testament scriptures. I mean, they likely had just left a worship service, and they both go out of their way not to help this guy who is dying all alone with no help. Now, what is wrong with this picture? I want you to see this, and if you're, if you're a note taker, I would encourage you just, just to write this down, but here, here's what I don't want you to miss. It is possible, it is absolutely possible to know all the right answers and miss the whole point. You can know all the right answers and miss the whole point. It is possible to have all of the head knowledge in the world and never, ever, not one single time in your life experience true heart transformation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how in the world did these guys with so much head knowledge miss the whole stinking point? I want to give you three reasons I think these two guys missed the heart of God. And I want to challenge you as, you, as we kind of work through these, just do a heart check on yourself. Just do a self-inventory and say, man, is my life, is my heart drifting in any of these three areas? So three ways to miss God's heart. Number one, 
Avoid inconvenience at all cost. Avoid inconvenience at all cost. Now here's what you need to know about the priest and the Levite in that culture. As, as Jews, if they even touched a dead body, they were considered ceremoniously unclean. Which practically meant for them that they could not go into the temple and that they would have to purify themselves on the third day and the seventh day. So if they, if they go over to this guy laying on the ground and he's already dead, or even if they help him and he dies later, it messes up. Listen, it messes up their entire week. They've got to spend the entire next week doing all of these religious cleansing ceremonies. And so they see this guy sprawled out in the road, bleeding out, and undoubtedly they are thinking, man, I don't have time for this. I got a 17-mile journey down to Jericho. My, My family is waiting on me. I am already late for dinner. We got to get the kids to soccer practice this evening. We are scheduled to leave on vacation tomorrow. Like, I got a million reasons why I cannot stop. I'm sure there's going to be somebody else behind me who's less busy than I am who's going to stop and care for this poor guy that's bleeding out. Let me just say to you this morning, friend, listen, if we don't create margins or margin in our life, we really begin to run the risk of becoming this priest or this Levite in this story. Listen, if you, if you are too busy, if your life, if your schedule is too busy to do what God has clearly commanded you to do, then you're too busy. For a lot of us, it's time for us to begin to clear our plates and create margin in our lives because understand that love is almost, listen, love is almost always inconvenient. It's almost always inconvenient. And for too many of us, we are are so busy, we are too busy to even see the opportunities that God places in front of us in our lives every single day of our lives. And it is possible for us to know all the right answers, to have all of our doctrine all lined up and miss the whole point. Listen, people are messy And so consequently, love is messy and it is almost always inconvenient. And Christian, listen, choose love anyway. Choose to step into the chaos and the pain of other people's lives anyway. And here's another way that we can miss the heart of God. And this is is a little bit speculative on my part. I I do think it's a, a fair assumption. But I think these guys likely hesitated to stop because... On some level, they had to be afraid, right? I mean, this was historically known as a really dangerous road. So I imagine these guys are probably on edge already a little bit, right? So they're, they're walking along this road, and they got all these dark caves off to the side. They're, probably every noise they hear, like, whoa, whoa, what is, what is that? So they're already a little jumpy. They're already a little scared. They come up on this guy who looks like, his, like he's sprawled out there dead, and they have to be thinking to themselves, man, somebody just beat this guy to a bloody pulp. They could still be hiding in the rocks, if I, if I stop to help this guy, I could be next. So listen, the second way that many of us can miss the heart of God, number two, is to live in fear. To live in fear. Now this is, a, we talk about this one a lot here because I think this one is a really big one in our culture. Man, we, we, are, we are scared of everything. 
Man, our culture is a culture of fear. Our nation is a nation of fear. We are a people of fear. We are anxious about everything. I think I may have told you guys this, this story at, at some point, but there was a, a day at some point last year where I was uh, at Chick-fil-A. And um, so, so occasionally I'll go there and I'll have lunch and I'll answer emails or study or something like that. Sometimes you just need some holy chicken. You know, you need some Christian chicken in your, in your diet. And uh, so I was there getting my, my, my Christian chicken on, and um, there was this, this single mom sitting in front of me with, with a little girl. Now, I, I hardly ever uh, carry cash with me. I, I just don't. So if you're looking for somebody to mug in the parking lot, don't pick me because you're not going to get anything out of it. Pastor Mike always carries lots of cash. And so if you're, if you're looking for somebody to mug, you might want to grab him. But uh, don't, don't grab me. But th- this, uh, this particular day, I had 20 bucks. In my, in my wallet, and I'm not even sure why, but had 20 bucks in my wallet, and as I was sitting there, I was just watching this single mom and her, her little daughter interact, and I could just tell by the clothes they were wearing that they, they didn't have a lot of money, and I just felt like God was prompting me to give them that $20, and so I, I immediately started trying to talk myself out of it, right, and so I was having these conversations with myself, and so it kind of started off, well, man, what if, what if she thinks I'm trying to hit on her, <laughs> Like, that would be really awkward, and I don't want her to think that, and then that would make me feel awkward, and ah. Or, um, you know, I don't know, may, what if I go up to her and, like, try to give her this 20 bucks, and she's like, I'm a strong woman, I don't need a man to take care of me, you male chauvinistic pig, and just assaults me in the parking lot. Like, I'm, play, like I'm playing all this out in my head, like, all these reasons that I shouldn't help this lady and give her 20 bucks, and I'm just picturing, like, the headlines in the newspaper, right? Male chauvinistic pastor at New Life gets assaulted in the parking lot, right? I'm picturing all this, and I'm like, oh, man, I just I feel like I'm supposed to do it, but I'm scared to do it. And so I was like, man, I'm just going gonna, gonna to finish this little thing, this email I'm working on, whatever. And So I'm, I'm working, and I finally get the courage, and I'm just like, man, I'm going to do it. I don't care if, if she thinks I'm a male chauvinist or whatever or hitting on her. I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to give her the money, and I'm going to run away real fast. <laughs> and... Um, and so I'm, I'm going to do it. I finally work up the courage, and I look up, and she's gone. And um, I walked around the, the, the restaurant looking for her. She's not there. I went out to the window. I'm looking at the parking lot. She's not there. And I missed that opportunity that God was prompting me to step into somebody else's life and be a blessing to them. And I allowed fear to control what God was asking me to do. And I missed it. What about you? What are you allowing fear to keep you from in God's kingdom today? Hey, student, high school student, college student, young single, what are you allowing? What fear are you allowing to keep what God has for you away in your life? Hey, professional, retired person, what is God asking you to do that you just keep shuffling to the back of your mind because you're afraid? Now, you may not come across a half-dead guy bleeding out in the street. Maybe you will, and if you do, I hope you'll help him. But even if you don't, I promise you, there are people all around you every single day of your life that are absolutely drowning. All around you. Every single day. They're in your neighborhood. You go to school with them. You work with them, and they are absolutely suffocating in this life. If you want to miss the whole point Avoid inconvenience in your life and choose to live in fear. And if we're being honest this morning, most of us are really good at both of those things. 
Let's keep going. This is where it starts to get really good. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, listen, this is important, he had compassion. Now that Greek word that we use for compassion there literally means to be moved to your bowels. It's this idea of being moved to the deepest part of who you are, being moved to your core. It's this idea of being so deeply moved that you are compelled to act on someone else's behalf. It's the same word used in a, another story found in, in Luke chapter 7, and there's this story where Jesus stumbles upon this scene, and there's this woman who is weeping. And it's a, it's a widow, and her, her only child, a son, has, has now died. So she's lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son, and she is now all alone in the world, and she is weeping. And Luke says, same word, same Greek word, and it says, Jesus had compassion on her. And Jesus walks over to this lady that has now lost everything that she has in the world, and he says to her, don't cry. Lady, don't, don't, don't cry. And he walks over to the coffin and he raises a little boy back to life and gives him back to his mom. And Luke uses the same exact Greek word there. It says, Jesus had compassion on her. He was so moved to his core that he was compelled to act on her behalf. Listen, love is passion that leads to action. Back to our parable. Watch this in verse 34. He, the Samaritan, went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. So this is for medicinal purposes. This Samaritan, don't miss this, he's sacrificing of his own material goods to try to heal this guy's wounds. This is a beautiful picture of self-sacrifice. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So now the, the half-dead guy is on the Samaritan's horse or ox or whatever. So guess who's walking the 17-mile road now? The Samaritan is. Again, a picture of self-sacrifice. Verse 35 and the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So the Samaritan pays for his stay in this inn, and when he leaves the next day, he says, listen, whatever it costs you to take care of this guy, I don't care how much it costs you, I don't care how long it takes, whatever it costs you, I'm good for it. Look, I promise I'm going to come back, I'm going to pay whatever the price is. Now, you have to understand how, how huge this was because in this day, if he didn't come back and pay the bill, the innkeeper could legally sell this guy into slavery to pay the debt. So this Samaritan is basically paying this guy's way out of slavery. So here's what, here's what you need to know culturally about what was going on here. The Jews hated the Samaritans. I mean, not, not just like didn't like them a little bit, they despised the Samaritans because the Samaritans were the Jewish people who stayed behind when Israel was conquered and they intermarried with the enemy, with the, the conquerors of Israel. So they were considered sellouts and half-breeds. The Jews wouldn't even worship with them. They made the Samaritans build another temple somewhere else. This is, this is massive racial tension in the first century here. So the fact that Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of this story, understand this, is scandalous. It's absolutely scandalous. And the fact that two religious Jewish people abandoned this poor guy 
in the street to suffer and to die alone. And yet it's the hated Samaritan who shows compassion on this dying man. Listen, this was a full frontal assault on the racism and bigotry of that day. So understand this. This is the third way that we can miss God's heart. Number three, embrace your hidden bigotry. Now, I know what most of all, most all of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, yeah, I can check out on this point. This one doesn't apply to me, man, because I'm not a racist and I'm not a bigot. Well, maybe not, but every single one of us hides some level of animosity for people who are not like us. Now, most of us would never articulate that. Most of us would never actually say that out loud, but this is how it plays out in our minds and our hearts. When we see people who are different than us, we begin to subconsciously, it's not even on purpose sometimes. It's so ingrained in our sin nature. Sometimes we see people, they're different than us, and we automatically begin to subtract from their humanity. Don't we? Oh, that guy's a Duke fan, subtract. All right. In my case, that guy's an LSU fan. Subtract, subtract, subtract. <laughs> that guy's a Democrat. Subtract. That guy's a Republican. Subtract. Oh, that guy looks like he's a Muslim. Subtract. Oh, they look like they're here illegally. Subtract. Oh, they're a part of the LGBT community. Subtract. Oh, they believe that a, a baby is just a fetus. Subtract. Listen, it, it, is, it is easy to love people who are just like you. It is easy. It is easy to love people who look like you and sound like you and act like you and dress like you and believe like you. And yet Jesus is teaching the scandalous truth that loving our neighbor includes loving people who are not like us. So let me give you two quick application points from this parable and we'll begin to land the plane. Number one, loving your neighbor includes loving your enemy. The answer to the lawyer's question, who is my neighbor, the answer to that question is anyone who God puts in your life who needs compassion. That is your neighbor. Anyone who God places in your life that needs compassion. We see a need, we are moved to compassion, and that compassion leads us to action. Yes, even Democrats. Yes, even Republicans. Yes, even immigrants. Yes, even the LGBT community. Now hear me say this clearly. I am not saying, don't hear me say that we are to compromise on biblical truth. I am not saying that. We never compromise on the word of God. But what I'm telling you is we don't have to compromise to love people that we disagree with. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says that if you only love those who love you, Jesus goes, what good is that? Jesus says even the pagans do that. Even idol worshipers do that. No, we are, we are called to a radical form of love and to uncommon compassion because we have been loved by a God that has loved us with a radical love and a God that has shown us great compassion. So here's the second application of this parable. Number two, the gospel changes how you see people. The gospel changes how you see people. 
See, religion can transform your mind, but only the gospel of Jesus can actually transform your heart. In the book of James, it was written by the little half-brother of Jesus. Don't turn there. This will be on the screens for you. But this is what James, little brother of Jesus, says. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, if one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is saying, listen, friend, there, there are two types of faith. One that is dead, and that dead faith sometimes even has all the right answers and it believes all the right things, but it never actually changes us at the heart level and it never actually changes the way that we live our lives and love other people. James says that kind of faith is dead. But there is another kind of faith. There's a faith that is alive. And this faith marries right belief with right practice, how we live. Now, hear me say this. Good works don't save us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But understand this, those things are never alone. Because authentic faith always produces life change and fruit. And it changes the way that we view people and the way that we love people. And Jesus just hammers this home in this parable. And so my question for you as we walk through this is this. Is your faith alive or dead, friend? Is it alive or dead? You say you believe. Good. James says even the demons believe and they tremble. Is your faith alive? That's what Jesus is asking this religious lawyer. You believe, lawyer man? Good. Cool. What does your life say you believe, Mr. Bible expert? And Jesus finishes this parable, and then he turns back to the lawyer, and he asks him this question in verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. So Jesus goes, three saw, one acted, who proved to be the actual neighbor? In other words, who proved that he really gets the heart of God? Verse 37, the lawyer guy answers and he says, the one who showed him mercy. Now notice he can't even say the word Samaritan. He doesn't say, oh, the Samaritan is the one who showed him mercy. He just says the guy that showed him mercy. His, his heart is still stone cold. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And Jesus drops the mic and he walks off the stage. Right? <laughs> so let's finish with the question that we started with. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus essentially answers with this parable and he says, my disciples are gonna love God with everything that they've got. They're gonna love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, but there's something else. It's not just their belief. They're also gonna love their neighbors ferociously. Jesus goes, that's how you're gonna know who belongs to me. That's how you're gonna know who are my disciples. They're gonna love God with everything they got, and they're gonna love other people like crazy. And what does it look like to love your neighbor well? Well, 
Love oftentimes looks like inconvenience. Love oftentimes looks like overcoming fear. Love often looks like smashing, smashing the hidden bigotry in our hearts against people who are not like us. Love oftentimes looks like learning to love our enemies at great personal sacrifice and cost to ourselves. This is how the Apostle John uh, put it in 1 John, and we'll, we'll close with this. This is what John, best friend of Jesus, says. He says, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for, for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity or no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but listen, let us love with actions and in truth. Friends, will you bow your heads with me as we close this morning? Friend, listen, if all you have in your spiritual journey is is right doctrine and right theology and you know a lot of the right Sunday school answers, but, but you've never been moved to compassion deep in your heart that leads to action. I just want to challenge you. I think if, if that's you this morning, listen, you've gotten a hold of dead religion. You do not have the gospel of Jesus. If that's you, you are the lawyer in this story. The lawyer who knows a lot of the right answers but misses the whole point. Because listen, when we love God rightly, when our hearts have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus, that always, always, always spills into how we love our neighbor. Do you have that kind of faith, friend? Faith that transforms not just the mind, that's the easy part, but the heart. Ultimately, the way that we view people and the way we interact with people and the way that we love other people. And if you're just being gut level honest this morning and you would say, Chris, man, I, gosh, man, I've grown up in church and I think I know a lot of Bible stories and stuff like that. Man, but I don't have what Jesus was talking about in this parable. I don't think I have what you're talking about. This life-altering heart-level transformation and an encounter with the living God of this universe through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, if that's, if that's you, I want you to know that the good news is that Jesus offers you today that kind of living, breathing, life-transforming faith today. Listen, all, all you have to do is repent, and that's, a, that's like a really big church word that we use. All that word repent means is, is to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. So if that's where you are right now, just where you are in the silence of your seat, in your heart, just pray out in your own words to God. God, I want to turn from my sin and I want to turn from living my life my way and I want to put my faith and I want to put my trust in Jesus. And I don't even know what that really means fully right now, God, but I want to give my life to you and I want to, the best way I know how to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. I want you to teach me how to love other people the way that you love other people. And I want you to teach me to see other people how you see other people. And I want to live my life that way, God, from this day to the rest of the, my life, God. If that's you, just pray out in your own words to God.
He hears you. He promises us to give us a new heart when we do that. We pray with a sincere faith and a sincere prayer. Because listen, don't, don't miss this. Jesus is the true Good Samaritan. Jesus is the, the truer, better Good Samaritan. Jesus embodied this kind of love for us perfectly. Listen, when you were beat up and you were stripped down, when you were left for dead by your own sin, Jesus showed up and showed you great mercy. And he paid the price to heal you and set you free. But before we can love other people like this, we have to have been loved like this. We have to experience a love like this. And listen to me, you have been loved like this by Jesus. Jesus loves you unconditionally. So if you want to know more about what it means to, to follow Jesus and what it means for him to give you a new heart, man, I'm going to, I'm going to be up here after we sing in just a minute with some other prayer partners. We'd love to talk with you. If you have to jet, grab that connection card inside your bulletin, fill that out, drop it in the wooden boxes on your way out. Listen, let, let us know what God is doing in your life. We want to walk with you. We want to celebrate with you. God is good. Jesus has shown us mercy. The price has been paid. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for showing us what love is through Jesus. Father, thank you for showing us that love isn't a feeling, that love is a passion that leads us to action. God, help us, help us to love you that way, God, and help us to love other people that way so that they also would see how beautiful you are when they see you inside of us. God, we love you. You are good. We pray all of this in the mighty name, the one that saves the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship.